I told you last week, so I've got to say it again. Uh, today's message is not a feel-good message. You're not going to walk out of here floating on cloud nine feeling great. You, say, you may say, well, Brother Jeff, after our kind of our family prayer that, that took us 20 minutes, I, I did feel great. Uh, praise the Lord for that. I'm just going to tell you the content that we're looking at is not something that makes us feel wonderful, uh, but it is truthful, and it, we're going somewhere with this. We're going to keep moving through the book of Romans. Uh, we've, we've had to split this passage uh, into two because of its size, but I want to read the whole section again, beginning in verse number 18. And again, you'll see today the black velvet. And it's setting up for the contrast of the powerful name of Christ and the grace of God and the love of God that is to come. But first, we have to understand what the situation is. And so today, we're going to jump back in. Last week, we preached on verses 18 to 23, and so we need to get a running start again of the whole section. Look at verse number 18. Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God. You're like, well, I don't really believe in that, or I don't like to think about that, or I'm embarrassed by that. I'm a Christian, but I don't like those sections of Scripture where you don't get to pen knife the Bible. For the wrath of God is revealed. The idea is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So as we live in unrighteousness, we are pushing, holding down, drowning out truth. That was our first point last week is the fact of God's wrath. But then verse 19 and 20, we saw something else. For what can be known about God, this is not everything about God, but what can be known about God is plain to them. All of them is the idea. How? Because God has shown it to them. We've kind of pointed out how God has revealed himself in our very conscience, the way he made us. We are born with an awareness of God, a moral being. Verse 20, it does, does another step. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. No one will be able to stand before God one day and say, oh, time out, uh, you cannot send me there. I didn't know about you. You can't do that. Everyone knows about God. They may eventually lead themselves, as we'll see today, believing there is no God, but they didn't come into this world believing that. So our second point last week was the revelation of God's attributes in creation and in our conscience, God has revealed himself. And in verse... 21, 22, and 23 is where it got ugly. This is what causes the ugly that's to come. Here's where we really messed up. Here's what causes the wrath of God in verse 18. Here's what's going to cause the unique form of the wrath of God in verses 24 to 32. It all happens in verse 21, 22, 23. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. We pointed out how it bothers God when people are unthankful to Him. He wants us to give thanks. It really bothers Him when we don't give thanks. But not only did they not do that, but they became futile in their thinking, empty, vile, just going all the wrong way in their thinking. They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. No doubt they darkened their heart, and God's going to darken their heart as a result of what they've done. Claiming... Now that they've done away with God or the true version of God, claiming to be wise, very proud of themselves and, and man's ability and our academic achievements, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God. Here's this immortal God who cannot die. We exchange that for images. We trade the real for a fake images resembling mortal man. So we have this immortal God and we try to make him look like mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And so we talked about the denial of God's authority. So we've seen the fact of God's wrath, we've seen the revelation of God's attributes, and we've seen the denial of God's authority, and now we're going to see the fallout. Let's read verse 24 to 32 in one sitting. Here we go. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, 
God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malicious, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. You see now why we had to split that passage. There's so much in this today and in last week's message. Last week we talked about the wrath of God and we noted we stole some ideas out of MacArthur's study Bible in which he gives us six, at least six different manifestations of how do we know that God really is wrathful towards sin? Number one, eternal wrath. There is a real hell. There is a lake of fire to be. Why? Because God is wrathful towards sin. There's the eschatological wrath. This Bible talks about this day of the Lord that's going to come in which Jesus Christ will bring vengeance and judgment on the earth. On this earth, it's going to happen. Even before that, though, we see cataclysmic wrath in real specific events like the flood in Sodom and Gomorrah that we read of in the Bible. We talked about the wrath of the cross where Jesus, the very Son of God who is God, is forsaken by God on the cross because at that time Jesus became sin. So God is so wrathful towards sin, he who had never been a part, who is totally one with his Son, turns his back on his son. God forsaken of God because of the wrath of the cross. Then we talked about consequential wrath where God actually set up laws and reactions. When we do that, some sinful activity, it automatically results in reaping what we've sown. We reap what we sow. And then we refer to today's type of wrath and that's what we're going to look at in verses 24 to 32 today is the wrath of God's abandonment. We hear that and we say, okay, what exactly is the wrath of God's abandonment? God's wrath of abandonment is when he removes his restraint. I'm going to tell you, as a Christian, I have the Holy Spirit living in me. And when I start getting off into sin, something starts churning within me. I feel convicted. If you don't ever feel convicted over your sin, you do not have the Holy Spirit living in you. I can say that very confidently from Scripture. The wrath of abandonment is when God removes his restraint on sinful man and lets him just go into his own sin as a form of punishment. It would almost come across like this is what's happening. God, are you greasing the tracks in the direction they're headed? It's not God doing it. It's just God not slowing them down anymore. I'm going to let you go where you want to go. I'll stop withholding your sin. 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verse number 2, the second part of the verse. Watch what is told to King Asa, who's leading Benjamin and Judah, the southern tribes of Israel. Watch what the Bible says. Three great promises in the second part of that verse. Asa, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Hey, you need to hear that. I think we're not doing any harm by taking what, what truth is told to Asa and applying it to our own lives because this is a biblical principle. The Lord is with you while you are with him. Here's another promise. I could say this to a Christian. I can say this to an unsaved person in our midst or who is listening to this later on a recording. I can confidently say this is true. If you seek him, Asa, he will be found by you. If you really seek him, Lord, I want you. I, I, I want you to reveal yourself. I will obey you. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But equally true, we can add this. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Somebody may be listening to me right now, and believe me, I have no idea where everybody is. We're all at different points. Some of you had the best week, 
the best week of the year so far. And I know the year's young. Others of you say this last week was the worst year of the week so far. Some of you may say yesterday was awful or this morning. Uh, you may be sitting there and, you, you know, you didn't speak and, or maybe worse than didn't speak. You kind of screamed at each other all the way to church. I have no idea where you're at, right? Uh, so we never know. There may be someone listening to me right now and the circumstances of life have led you down a path where you are so bitter that you haven't actually finished the sentence in your mind, but you have thought it. And you almost want to scream because you're bitter and angry and frustrated with God because, you know, why is He allowing all these things to come in your life? And so here's where you're, you, you, again, you haven't thought, you, you, you haven't thought the whole thing, but you're on the verge and you just, part of you just wants to scream out to God, leave me alone. Just leave me alone. Just let me be. Just stop dealing with me. Can I tell you, as somebody that cares about your soul, don't ever, ever tell that to God. If you do, he might take you up on that offer. And if he ever does, I'll promise you it may not be today. But the day will come you will be absolutely sorry that he left you alone. Don't ever tell God to leave you alone. We just read this passage. Look at verse 24, the first part again. Therefore God gave them up. Look at verse 26. For this reason God gave them up. Look at verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. I've kind of wondered this. And again, this is going to be a subtle little difference and probably half will be like, I don't even know what he's saying there. Just kind of skip over. The other half you may go back and you check and you may come to a different conclusion. But here's what I've wondered. Is Paul using verse 24, 26, 28 to describe three separate but simultaneous results of verse 21, 22, and 23 where mankind went away from God and tried to ignore God or make and create the wrong version of God and idolatry in their minds. And so is, is Paul saying because of verse 21, 23, 21, 22, 23, then verse 24 is happening, 26 and 28, all of that's going to happen, happen in your life? Or is he saying... Each one of these verses is actually a different step down from the previous. I lean to that. I've read it, and you, I might, I'm not saying I'm right. I am, all the times I've read this passage, it almost comes across to me, because of what happens in 21 to 23, verse 24 happens, and because of what happens in verse 24 and the first part of verse 26, then God lets happen the second part of verse 24 and the second part of verse 26 has to do with the body. So over here, because of what happens in the heart, he's going to let them have that. Then, that, if they don't get out of that, then it's going to go to the body. And once they wallow in it in the body, then it's going to affect the mind. I almost see it as separate steps down, each one kind of getting worse and worse as it goes. With that thought in mind, let's look at four things that are pretty clear out of the text today. Number one is wicked man's diseased heart. Wicked man's diseased heart. Verse number 24 begins, again, therefore, because of what happened in 21 through 23, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Verse 26, playing off of that, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. I'll give you a newsflash, by the way. This is not an attack on Disney. I like going to Disney World just as much as the next person. Our family likes to go. Uh, but Disney doesn't always shoot straight with you, okay? If you really watch these movies, you know what they're constantly telling our little kids? Follow your heart. Just follow your heart. It'll tell you the way. You ain't going to hear me say that. I'm going to tell you the opposite. I'm talking about your heart. I'm not talking about the heart that God gives you after salvation when the Holy Spirit's in, in, in control of you. I'm talking about your heart and my heart. Listen, do not follow your heart. You say, why would I not do that? James chapter 1, verse number 14 tells us, every one of us, each person is tempted. Why do I end up in sin? Each is tempted when he's lured. Oh, there's a fishing term. I'm not a very good fisherman. I don't use a lot of lures because I just don't care. I learned this, though. Fish, most of them do like night crawlers. And so I do lazy man's fishing, and I get my bobber, and, I, and they usually rob it. Or worse, they swallow the thing whole, and I end up having to I kill them because I let them swallow my hook because it's just not the best form of fishing. But they're lured. Watch what the Bible says. 
each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. His own desire. It's in there. Satan realizes, oh, you like that, and he throws the bait. By the way, there's a hook in that bait, and off we go. Why did that end up happening to me? Because you like it. You like sin. You do. I'm not talking about you after you're saved. I'm talking about you left alone by God. You love sin, and I love sin. It's our sinful nature. Jeremiah 17, 9 through the first part of verse 10, Jeremiah says basically the same thing. The heart is deceitful. Disney says, follow your heart. The Bible says, do not follow your heart because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Desperately wicked is the idea. Who can understand it? Who can understand their heart? And then the Lord says, I, the Lord, search the heart. Did you catch what just happened? This isn't me. I could say our hearts, and that is true, but I want to say it a little more forcefully. Your heart is not only wicked, your heart is deceitful because it tricks you into thinking, I'm not that bad. I would never do those things that are listed in this passage. Verse number 24. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. The word impurity there means this. Decaying matter in a grave. We know what's in a grave. And again, I don't know that they would have embalmed necessarily at this point. So you put something in a grave and you know what happens to the grave. And the Bible says when God abandons us and we are left to our own heart's desires, our diseased heart, then it ends up leading us toward the equivalent of that which is spiritually decaying matter in a grave. Impurity. We got some real nice folks here today. And I know most of you. You really are. I mean this. You are a great congregation. I am just thrilled to be here. But I want to tell you something about yourself. Okay? Two things about the sexual sins that are listed here. Two things. Okay? Number one, any one of us can do any one of the things that are in this if left to ourselves. And number two, these sexual sins begin in the heart. They begin in the heart. You don't just launch out performing these things. It begins in the heart. So I'm going to advise us, be careful what you think about. Be careful what you set your affections on. Be careful what you meditate on. You say, Jeff, it's difficult. Oh, I know it's difficult. You say, man, I just have a hard time when, when I got my client that's an hour away and, and I just got nothing to do but drive for an hour and I just can't, my mind just goes and man, it's kind of like what's being described here in Romans number one. You have to guard your heart. Keep your mind busy on something positive and godly because if left to itself, if God were to back away, we just inevitably are lured toward thinking the awfulest thing. Guard your heart. Why? Say, Jeff, why is it so important? I'm just thinking it. It's not like I'm actually doing it. You will eventually act on what you set your affection on. Eventually, you'll act on what you set your affection on. The frequency of live-in lovers doesn't just happen. That's something that's moved toward wife swapping. Like, what's that? Just what it says group sex I know we've got a few younger people our littlest ones are away down the hall cyber sex all of that shows the degree to which our society is just like the Roman society I will tell you I don't have great aspirations for mankind in America left to himself I believe we need God to come back and do a work in us left to ourselves we, you see where we're headed it is getting worse and worse it's not getting better and better. This is an example of what happens when we are abandoned. As a nation, you can just tell step, step by step, God is withdrawing. America is saying, we don't want you, God. And now that many have come to a conclusion, we don't even believe you that, that you exist anymore. Can I tell you something? And again, you say, man, this is not a feel-good message. We would be utterly shocked if we knew the vile and filthy that is going in people's minds and in their eye gate all the time. I'm telling you, don't, don't, I'm just saying it would shock us if we knew what's being viewed. And you're saying, yeah, that dirty old man at the end of the hall or downstairs or wherever. Well, I'm talking about that because here's, here's the shocking part. I'm talking about the CEO who looks good in a suit and is very charming and winsome. And you just trust him. 
and he's got the nice office. If you, I'm not, I'm, this is not for you to go around just assuming that everybody who fits this category, I know about you. Don't, don't do that. I'm saying just being a CEO of Fortune 500 company does not mean, well, these are surely respectable if you knew some of the things that are being watched on a regular basis. Vile filth. It's the young guy, it's the young man flipping your burger. And it's not even a physical thing. He's just watching it on a screen. But if you knew what he's been watching on a screen, you'd be like, I don't even want you making my burger. Really, you would come to that conclusion. Hey, it's the sweet girl in class. Like, oh, the one that dresses. No, 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 the sweet one. It's the pastor. Heard it just this week. Long time. 30-some years. Just, and still... And the answer is, I'll just get out of the ministry then. It's everywhere. I'm not saying everyone, but it's all around us. America has been abandoned by God because that's what we've insisted on. And God's like, I'm going to give you what you want. You have a diseased heart, you want to vent your heart, have at it. It's not going to be pretty. It doesn't end well. Verse 25, look at it quickly. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Actually, if you look at it chronologically, verse number 25 precedes verse 24. So we have to ask ourselves, what is this lie? Here's the lie. Here it comes. It has levels. Wicked man, to, to do the things that are listed in this passage of Scripture, has to come to one or several conclusions. Here's a good one. God doesn't even exist. I can only do that if I come to a conclusion. God doesn't exist. Or, okay, if there is a God... He hasn't revealed his will. Who's to say what God likes or doesn't like? It's not up to you. We don't really know. Oh, wait a minute. You do know it's been put inside of you. That's why your hands get all sweaty. That's why you blush. That's why you look left and right before you click. It's in you. And oh, by the way, it's in here very specifically. God has revealed. So we've got to come up, okay, there isn't a God, or if there is one, he hasn't necessarily revealed himself. Or here's another one, okay, he is real, he has revealed himself, but there's a lot going on. It's not like he's actually looking at what I'm doing. He's not watching. Or if he is watching, it's just me, it's harmless. I'm not actually doing anything. I'm just thinking about it, or I'm just looking at it and thinking about it. God doesn't really care. That's the lie. Got to do away with God to be able to just move forward in this sin I'll tell you another part of the lie is this here it comes when man's will promises freedom here's what it promises have you ever thought this boy if I could do anything I want there would be no repercussion that would be good if I could just do away with God and God would never do anything it's like he'd just take a break turn his back for a little bit and just give me maybe a good week unlimited money, access to go anywhere in the world, and my loved ones wouldn't know anything that I did. What would I do with that blank check? Here's the problem. Man's free will promises freedom. I could do anything I want to do, but here's, here's the hook that's in the bait. There is no freedom. It's slavery. Because what you end up doing is getting hooked on this thing and there are people that are in, in the, these very sins that have been listed here today that honestly want to get out because they see it destroying their life, but they can't stop. Can't stop. They're hooked. It promised freedom. Sin promises happiness. By the way, there is pleasure in sin for a season. It is, it is pleasurable. It promises happiness, but it always delivers pain in the end. I don't even know who to give credit. I had to put your hand out. I couldn't leave this out. I'm like, man, that's a really good quote. Someone, whoever someone is, said, if sin's consequences were more immediate, there would be fewer takers. If I saw the hook, if I saw what's going to happen to me as a result of heading down that road, I wouldn't do it. So this person who believes the lie departs on a voyage toward vile affections that leads to abominable actions. Number two, wicked man's defiled body. Look at verse number 24, halfway through to the dishonoring of their bodies. Look at verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. So off they go on that. Surely they'll be satisfied with that. No. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Man's defiled body. 
Sometimes sin's own punishment is itself. Say it again. Sin is sometimes its own punishment. It's as though God says, hey, Lord, what are you going to do? They're, we're doing that. They're doing that. What are you going to do? I, I'm, how are you going to judge them? I'm going to let them have that sin. That's the judgment. What's the judgment? They're going to have to live, catch it, live where? In sin. That's the address. Where do you live at? Oh, you don't live on such and such street. You live in sin. It's its own punishment. What the text is teaching us, this is important. If mankind habitually vents his heart's lust, I'm just thinking about it. Oh, I want to think about this, and I'm just looking. I'm just watching. If man habitually vents his heart's lust, he atrophies his soul, and one of the ways God will judge him is he'll eventually judge him by giving him even more vile affections and even grosser and grosser affections. You like that? Okay, he'll let you go further and further and further. This is the downward spiral of abandonment. I said this a while ago. I'm going to come to it again. If you read this passage, verse 26 and 27, and you think, whew, well, there's one thing for sure. I want you to catch this. Hey, good old boys, listen to what I'm about to tell you. Well, one thing I know, I'll never do that. That's sick. That's gross. You better think again. A man who rejects God may try to enjoy his secret sexual sins and suppress the guilt, but eventually, here's what we find, it's, it's in all things, lesser levels of sin no longer excite and satisfy and do the trick. So we've got to go to more. Y'all remember when you were dating, right? You remember when you were dating and you're on the bus or you're at the theater, wherever it was, and your heart's just going, right? And you, you try the old uh, put the drink down and let your hand fall, and... The outside of your hand touches the outside of her hand. You remember that? When you were 27? Or as we see now in today's society, four? Yeah. Wow, whoa, whoa. Well, that's not enough because then it's like, okay, not a bad response. She didn't do that, right? And she didn't do that. So so then it's going to try to flip up the last two fingers up on the edge. This seems to be going well. Next thing you know, kind of holding the hand. And then you, there's the hit. Whoa, got the full clasp, fingers within fingers, like, yes. Yeah, that'll last how long? That's enough. That's just, just wanting to hold her hand. Yeah, right. You know that is never enough. Same thing in what God is talking about in verse 24, verse 26. The first part is our diseased heart when vented is not enough just to have sin to look at and to think about. Eventually, we have to act it out. I'm going to make an important statement. You say, well, I'll never do that. Careful. Many people have arrived at verse 26 and 27 who never thought they would because they have fried their soul on pornography and fornication. Some level of pornography, and then all of a sudden they trade that in. That doesn't do anything anymore. I need to go next level, and then next level, and then next level, and next level. And all of a sudden their brain is in such the gutter, and their soul is so atrophied, they are now willing to start trying to act out some things. And that does the job for a little while, and eventually that doesn't work. And so they have to keep pushing and pushing to going deeper and deeper. And I'm telling you, people who never thought they would do what verse 26 and 27 is describing end up exactly there it is steps down so I'm telling you just push God away and you're heading on a bad path a path toward impurity a path toward a defiled body for time's sake I'm going to be very very brief on this point because I think next week I'm going to preach a message not to get head this is not a headline message this is not a shock value message just because it's going to take a little longer and because it is so prevalent and our culture has such a strong statement about it that we need to see what God's word says about homosexuality. So unless the Lord changes uh, the intent, uh, we're going to come back and look at that. It'll be like a not even a one-week break because we're going to come back to this passage, but we'll look at a few others that have to do with this subject next week. Quickly, let me say this, though. Number one, homosexuality is anti-God. Number two, it is called an abomination. Number three... 
It is repeatedly opposed in the Scripture in both the Old Testament and New Testament. And I know that's a popular message. Oh, that's Leviticus, and that's the nation of Israel, and that doesn't apply. It's like, really? Have you not read the whole New Testament? Well, that was wrong for them because they're heterosexual. I'm, I'm this, and God understands. It is anti-God. It is called an abomination. In other words, God hates all sin every day, all day. But some sin seems to especially make God sick, and this is in that category. And it is opposed in Scripture in the Old and New Testament. Trying to be brief here. This lifestyle that's described in this second point is undeniably a destructive lifestyle. There are statistics. You'd have to look them up because I'm going to tell you they're not going to be on the front page. But they're real. And many people that are in the psychological or the medical field or in the um, coroner's division in large cities, they know, oh, that's exactly right. Those statistics are very, very real. You say, what do the statistics say? But I've got to say that word. Statistics bear out that the homosexual lifestyle exhibits a high level of pent-up energy, which often, by the way, I'm not saying every time, I'm not saying all, but often leads to abnormally high levels of sadism and masochism. You're like, what's sadism? Causing harm to other people, physical pain to people. You say, what is masochism? causing physical harm to oneself. The stats do not lie. That, that sin leads to high levels of both of those. And I'm not just talking about the idiots who call themselves Christians who go around and think it's their job to bash gay people. Don't do that. That's not of God. That's not your job. You know, you don't do that. That is sin. All right? That is sin. The statistics don't lie. This lifestyle leads to extremely high levels of venereal disease. The AIDS, the numbers are, I'm not saying every person who has AIDS has a homosexual lifestyle. I'm not saying that at all. I mentioned that last week. But the numbers are astoundingly disproportionate in that lifestyle. And yet they do not stop. That doesn't deter. Look at verse 27. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women. And watch this phrase. Were consumed with passion. Consumed. Martha writes about that phrase the following. Let this, some of you say, I don't even know what that's talking about. Go look it up in Genesis 19. Here's what, here's what he writes. He says, the homosexuals of Sodom were so passionately consumed with their lust that they ignored. This is amazing to me. I always read this and I always think that is amazing. Here's how he words it. They're so passionately consumed with their lust that they ignored the fact that they had been made blind. And the Bible says they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway into Lot's house in order to pursue their vile pleasure. Y'all remember what happened? God's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of this particular sin. And so God sends two angels who take the form of men. They look like two men. They walk into the city. Their job is to go tell Lot, you and your family need to get out of the city. God's going to destroy it. Lot realizes what's going on. He houses them in the house. But something about these guys, they were recognized immediately. And the men in the gate and the word spread. And all of a sudden, here comes this huge mob of people over to Lot's house. They begin banging on the door. Lot, send those guys out so we can have sexual relations with them. Lot refuses. Lot has been living in this lifestyle even as a, a, as a believer in Jehovah God. So long, he, he makes a, a twisted offer to them. He says, let me give you my two daughters. And they say, we don't want your daughters. We want those two guys. And it gets so bad. By the way, it was God's grace that he didn't let them get a hold of those two guys because one angel destroyed 186,000 soldiers in the Old Testament. These two guys, they didn't need Lot's protection, but Lot feels like, no, you're under my protection. You're in my house. And these, he locks the door. He won't let them in. And they just keep banging and trying to get in. And God strikes them with blindness. And you think they go, whoa, their God struck us with blindness. Let's go home, guys. Not what they do. They keep on full of this pent-up energy. So, Jeff, what do they need? Let me tell you what they don't need. And you say, that's not consistent with your words and tone this morning. I think it is. What they don't need is our personal condemnation. They don't need Jeff Bartlett's opinion. They don't need Jeff Bartlett's summation of their life. They're not going to stand before me, and they do not need your personal condemnation it is sin I will preach it as such it is sin I will teach and preach biblical truth without apology but here's the difference 
I refuse to do that, to preach it and teach it with hatred in my heart where once I had that. Not doing that anymore. That, that's gone. And I'll refer to that next week. That was sad. It was wrong on my part. That's not going to happen. You say, why? Because they're just human. They're just people. We're people. That activity is just an example of what any human being can do when God withdraws himself. And by the way, here's what I would say to us as Christians. Our sin is not better sin. Well, no, 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 they're like really bad. Listen, our sin, well, ours is okay sin. Theirs is the really bad sin. Wrong. So we, we can't come blasting them with vehement condemnation while turning a blind eye to our pet sin. So we want to preach the whole thing. By the way, you see a lot of them in verses 29 to 32. Say, what do they need, Jeff? If they don't need our personal uh, condemnation, what do they need? They need the grace of God. Same thing all of us need. I'm telling you, their only hope is the Holy Spirit. Say, what do they need? They need the Holy Spirit to shine the light on themselves so that they see they're sinners just like happened to me when I was nine years old. I'm a sinner. Man, I wouldn't want you guys to know things I've thought or done or said. Wouldn't want you to know that. You wouldn't want me to know that about you. What do they need? They need the Holy Spirit to show them who they are, but just as important, to show them the all-powerful Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we talked about Wednesday night, to actually give them faith to believe in Jesus Christ. That's what they need. Number three, very quickly. Look at verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. What do we see here is man's wicked man's debased mind. So we've seen his diseased heart is defiled body the diseased heart leads to the defiled body once those things are gone into and all of a sudden you have a whole debased mind you say what's this word debased one translation words it this way reprobate say okay what does reprobate mean reprobate this is important means to be tested and found to be useless it's tested but it's not useless hey if, if those chairs do not hold up people then they're useless, useless. maybe we could use them to hold doors open very large paperweights but if they don't hold people up they're kind of useless they're not doing what they were designed to do a debased reprobate mind is one that is not doing what it's been designed to do so what happens we live in an America today that really struggles with moral issues don't we? America struggles with moral issues here's common questions what's wrong with envy I'm not doing anything here's one What's wrong with homosexuality? Here's one. What's wrong with adultery as long as they don't know? Right? It's just something I'm doing. You know, I, I have to do that and I only do it when I go out of town. It's, they're never going to know what's wrong with it. Can't even see. Can't even understand. Here's one. What's wrong with abortion? Really? You can't reason with this mind. You can't reason with it. And I know what they would say. No, we can't reason with you. you you're, your mind's so saturated in that Bible, in that book, you can't see clearly. Okay, maybe that's true, but that's my goal. My goal is to have the Word of God constantly washing, constantly making me think His thoughts. This is the mind, the debased mind, literally cannot see between the difference between things that differ, cannot make discernment. It's like, this is where we're at in America. What is black is being called white or gray, and what is white is being called black or gray war, execution, self-defense, manslaughter, murder. It's all the same. It's all wrong. Wait a minute. My mind says there's a difference between murder and self-defense and war. The reprobate mind like, no, it's all wrong. What's wrong with abortion? Have you ever seen the videos? No, 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 don't even talk about that. It went from they're not even alive. Oh, well, I guess science does prove yeah, they're alive. Well, it's not like they actually feel anything. Oh, here's the video, and here comes the suction thing. It's like you see it reacting. You know it's in pain. Well, okay, well, don't show those. We just need to do this, right? That's the reprobate mind at work. Fourthly, all of that leads to wicked man's destructive lifestyle. We have some 21 things that are listed by Paul in this passage. I'm going to hit some highlights of these. Uh, it'll go quickly. But the reprobate mind is a result of the defiled body, which is a result of the diseased heart that's been vented, and it all leads to this mind that can't differentiate between things that differ. 
And it results in this whole lifestyle that is destructive. By the way, Paul is not dealing with theory. Hey, I have some ideas about sinful man. He's writing about the city that he's writing to this church. He's writing about the city of Rome. Historians, multiple historians tell us 14, this blows my mind, 14 out of the first 15 emperors were homosexuals in Rome. 14 out of 15. This was a terrible day. I want to hit some of the words that Paul lists of this destructive lifestyle in verses 29 to 32. And rather than me quoting every single time, I'm going to throw out a name, William Barclay, as someone who I have borrowed because he is so really good on some of his word studies. What's a synopsis? Look at verse 29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. That's a general term that covers the sins that are going to follow. Then he says, full of unrighteousness, evil. You say, what's this evil? What is this? Hey, listen, there's a wickedness that does not want to harm other people, though it always does. But there's another kind of wickedness that intentionally wants to hurt people. That's this one. Satan wants to harm people. He wants to cause pain. He wants to do damage. That's this. The debased mind leads toward evil. He lists the word covetousness. What is this? This is a lust for things that a person has no business even desiring that. You want what? I want that person. Dude, that's, that's wrong. That, you, that is not for you. I want that or I want that object or I want that position. You can't, that is not for you. And oh, by the way, this sin does not care who it hurts to get what it wants. Malice is a very general term of all types of vices, which leads to viciousness. And then he mentions specifically envy. And we see some overlapping of these terms, but there's little nuances. What is this envy? Catch what I'm about to say. The word envy that Paul uses here is not mean aspiring to be like someone who has achieved great things. Wow. They were dealt that. They have those abilities. They worked really hard. They were disciplined. They planned. And they did it over a long period of time, and they have achieved that. That inspires me. I want to do that with my life. That's not this. This is this envy. I hate them because they have reached that position. Murder. Jesus very clearly teaches not only against murder, but against what causes murder. See, typically mankind, we're okay. As long as you don't do the act of murder or the act of violence, we don't really care. Jesus says, I care about your very heart, your intentions. I want everything to be pure. If your heart is pure, you'll never reach murder. Look at verse 29. Strife. This is an important one. Strife, right? This is rooted in jealousy. Let me give you the opposite of this. Here it comes. Someone has an achievement, right? Someone achieves great things. And, or someone, you know, it's your, it's, your, it's your girlfriend calls you on the phone. Hey, um, she calls you, hey, I, I just had this good news where you should be like, that's awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. Oh, you got their promotion. Oh, your husband, oh, you just booked that vacation. Really? Oh, it's, I'm so happy for you. Strife aims at contention that is born out of ambition for prestige. I want that. You see the word deceit. Deceit is the idea of the man who never does anything without an ulterior motive. You understand? I have a reason for doing this. He uses underhanded methods. Uh, Barclay offered a couple. Somebody sells wine, right? You know what they do? They dilute the wine and sell it as pure wine. They have precious metals. They debase the precious metals and sell them as if they were not debased. They are deceiving. Malicious. What's maliciousness? The debased mind does this. Listen carefully to this one. When given several choices, it always puts the worst possible motive on the other person. Have you ever done this? You ever got a text or an email that could be read two or three different ways? You know what we usually do if left to ourselves? I know what they meant. You ever done this? We read their email with tone like this and then when they say, yeah, but look what you sent to me. But mine is nice and sweet. Here's what I was saying. Maliciousness always chooses the worst. Next, we have two terms that are very similar. Gossips and slanderers. Gossips and slanderers. You say, wow, that's kind of the same thing. They are very close. There's just one minor little difference. They are both talking about tear, tearing down the character of another person 
One, though, is private and the other is public. One is a gossip, and that's the idea of whisper. Hey, you're private. Listen, did you hear about them? The other's just right out there. I want everybody to know they're tearing down their name or they're shouting from the rooftop. I'm going to tell you, if you want to do that about me, probably the more damaging of the two is the private little whisper because I don't even know you're doing it. I don't even have a chance to defend myself. That's just wrong. Can I ask it this way? Just for all of us. Do conversations with you regularly leave people having a lower esteem of someone else? Does a conversation with you on a regular basis cause people to walk away where they thought of, you know, Joe Schmo here and now after talking with you? Barely know the guy, but now, wow, he is way down. It's like, they, it shouldn't even have come up, but on a regular basis, you tear people down. That is whispering, gossiping, slandering. Paul mentions haters of God. This person would love to eliminate God altogether because they think God is holding them back. Insolent, haughty. Three times the Bible says that God resists this group. They are boastful. By the way, you said, what are the boastful? Very quickly. You all know their favorite subject, right, to talk about. Have you ever seen someone and you say, Jeff, that's you. I hope it isn't me. I really don't want it to be me. I'll go ahead and tell you, if I'm talking with you, I am, this is not because, you know, I'm humble or anything. I just don't have a lot to say about me. I'm going to probably try to get you talking about you. And you may bounce it back to me, and I'm going to probably bounce it back to you. But have you ever seen a person that's like, they, within two minutes, no matter what's being said, it goes to them, who they know, what they've done, you know, what they have, what they've got, what they possess. It's like, they're constantly trying to impress people. Inventors of evil, Paul says. Literally people thinking, how can I take good inventions like phones and computers and twist them to accomplish evil? Someone laid awake last night thinking, how can I use that device for evil and play on the lust that is in the American spirit? And it'll make me some money. Disobedient to parents. Foolish. Faithless, Paul says. There's this group, the debased mind leads toward faithless. You say, what is faithless? It means you can't trust them. Listen carefully. They say something, but you can't trust it. They may even write their they may even say something publicly and write their name on a document, but it doesn't mean anything. Why? Because they are faithless. Covenant breakers is the idea. Two more. Heartless. See verse number thirty one. Foolish, faithless, heartless. The word heartless means without natural affection, unloving unloving some parents fail to have normal feelings of love and protection toward their kids in Rome it literally is told by several historians if parents did not wish to have their children their newborn infants they could without repercussion just leave them in the streets or down at the forum and one Historian said it was normal on a normal day for 30 to 40 newborn babies to be left at the forum. If you want a baby, just go pick one up, but we don't want it. Why? It's an inconvenience. Guys, I'm telling you, Rome lived in, that was a bad, bad day. Bad time. In a lot of ways, much more. You see the next word, ruthless? The day that Paul is writing to is even more ruthless than where we're at today. We're headed there. You say, well, boy, I'm glad we're not heartless today. We would never just let our babies be put out on the street like that. Somebody, well, actually we do the same thing. We just do it a few weeks before birth, and we call it a medical procedure. It's the same thing. It's sin. Ruthless. Brutality. The floors of the amphitheater filled with the red blood of Christians and of slaves. Literally, it was a time if a man had a slave and the slave displeased him, he could just kill him on the spot. I read of one man who his slave displeased him. He threw him into like the moat, the water that was near where he lived, and inside there was a certain kind of fish, and these fish just attacked the guy and just ate him alive right on the spot. Why? Because I can. Ruthless, pitiless. Would you look at verse 32? We'll close here. Verse 32. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Again, 
though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, not only do they do them. You see that word do? That word do is in present tense. It means continuous, habitual action. And I'm asked this from time to time. And I'll, I'll be asked this again. So somebody, let me answer it before we even ask. Hey, Jeff, can a Christian do the sins in verse 29 to 32? I believe the biblical answer is twofold. A Christian can do any or several of those actions, any one of them. But they cannot continuously, habitually have that as an unbroken pattern of life. 1 John 3, 4 through 10 proves you can't you say well what if I just ongoing that's my whole lifestyle and has been my lifestyle I would say there's no evidence of you being a Christian any Christian can get away from the Lord and see these things happening but they can't just wallow in it if they began going down a path you say brother Jeff what if someone's here today and even just this last week they started on some of this venting their heart their wicked heart and they're headed down the road I will tell you that, that they, even a Christian that can lead to another and another and another but eventually if they just keep heading that road because they're God's kids God will spank them and if that doesn't work God will even take them out of this world that's in the Bible and that's another message but the unsaved person yeah they may be allowed to wallow in it on and on not only do they do it but the Bible says they applaud and they consent and unfortunately, I hate to paint this picture. Honestly, I do. I believe that's where we're at as a country. We really celebrate the promiscuous celebrity, don't we? And, and they know it. They, they bait us with these headlines. They're with who now? Click. Don't click. It just makes them more famous. Stop. We really look up to the businessman who's so shrewd and he knows how to manipulate and cheat the books. Don't. Don't celebrate him. Do things the right way. Let's close this morning. 1 Corinthians 6. I'm just going to read the passage. 1 Corinthians 6. We may look at this next week. Paul basically talking to the Corinthian church and gives us a very similar list. He's telling them, why in the world are you guys taking each other to court? Can you not settle your differences there at church? You're suing each other in the public courts and you're having unsaved judges make determinations on your life what in the world is going on here he gives his reasons for saying such verse 9 do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God implying why would you have them pass judgment on your life do not be deceived here's a list neither the sexually immoral fornication nor idolaters nor adulterers watch the next phrase nor men plural who practice homosexuality that is both partners the more aggressive of the homosexual partners and the more passive of the homosexual partners, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. This is the Bible. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Say, so, man, that does sound a lot like Romans. But here's the good news. Paul knows this crowd in Corinthians because he was there when that church started. And he says, and such were some of you you were that but you were washed by the blood of Christ you were sanctified set apart you're different now you're not what you used to be why because you were justified in the past you were washed you were sanctified you were justified declare righteous how in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God you were that you were all of those things that lifestyle not one specific act no specific act of sin is going to disqualify a Christian from eternal life. Eternal life is eternal life. It's life of the ages to come. You can't lose it. But the unsafe person is wallowing in it. Paul says, Paul answers this question. Hey, Jeff, what if I've done some of the things or many of the things? Can I ever be saved? Some people would try to have us believe that homosexuality is the unpardonable sin. No, it's not. 1 Corinthians 6, verse number 11 makes that very clear. And such were some of you. You can be saved out of that. You know what? They just need to see the Savior. They need to see sin as it is. Let the Holy Spirit put the light on the Savior and give them faith to call out on Him. You say, what if I have done some of these things you have today? And the grace of God has brought you here today. And you may be sitting there saying, God is still dealing with me. He is still wooing me. I want to challenge you. 
do not keep resisting because one of these times he'll not woo you anymore and you cannot become a Christian unless the Holy Spirit draws you. One of these days you just keep casting him off. He may just let you have what you want. Just leave me alone. Don't ever go there. Would you close your eyes just for a moment? Just for a moment. Honestly, guys, I'm going to tell you today, if you feel led to come forward, that is fine. If you don't, I totally understand. All I ask is that you let the Holy Spirit deal with you in this time of evaluation and application of the passage today. You may be here this morning and you say, Jeff, you kind of pegged me early on. I'm very bitter at God. I've been resisting Him. I've been rejecting Him. Hey, Today, you read and heard what can happen without God controlling your life. If you're not a Christian and you say, God is still wooing me even though I've resisted Him, I'm going to tell you the first thing, like right now, here's what you should do right now. Say, God, I don't even know what you look like, but I want to say thank you. Thank you for drawing me. Thank you for not leaving me alone. And if that's you, I want to invite you to take God at His word. God makes a promise. Believe. We believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Nowhere in there is a qualifier that, hey, if you're guilty of the sins of Romans 1, then you can never be saved. No, the Bible's clear. You acknowledge you are a sinner before God. You have that conversation. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I admit it. I am convicted of my sin today. Lord, I need you to come clean me up. But Lord, more than that, I need to receive Jesus as my Savior. I repent of my sins. You are right, God. Jesus is who you said he is. And I want his death to count for me. I don't want to waste it. And just right now, right now, ask God. God, would you please save me? of what Jesus did on the cross. Please save me from my sins. I am that sinner. I have a burden. And again, if you want to come forward, that is fine. I just wonder, is there a Christian? Just in the last few weeks, you've headed down a very dangerous road. driving the Lord away. You say, well, I can never fully fulfill the teaching of Romans 1 because that's talking about the ungodly man. I'm already saved. Yeah, but you can throw off God's fellowship in your life and He will withdraw. You'll still be related to Him. But He'll withdraw from your life and He will bring discipline and you will have to live in sin. Remember what I said earlier. Here's what the the Bible is teaching us in Romans 1. Sin unchecked, unconfessed, never satisfies, and it leads to more sin, typically worse sin, on down the line. And you know who you are. I have literally have no idea who you are, but if, that, if, if I'm talking to you, I'm going to beg you right now, do not do what verses 21, 22, and 23 said. Do the opposite of that. Acknowledge God right now. Lord, you are real. You are the one I am. You made me. I am too you with my life. I've not been doing that recently. Forgive me of my sin. I'm claiming 1 John 1, 9. Lord, please, I receive your forgiveness. And Lord, don't ever stop convicting me. Always convict me. Make me so uncomfortable. I do not want to be let go by you. And then lastly, before we sing, I'm going to invite every Christian here beg God ever let me things are good between me and you today but don't ever let me go into my own desires Lord I know it's in me please protect me Holy Spirit let me daily and throughout the day keep surrendering to you because guys I'm going to tell you it's only by God's mercy every day by his mercy every day by his power that we're able to live the life that pleases the Lord Father I pray Lord I pray if there's a few people here this morning that have never just simply trusted Jesus. Or they may have heard many sermons and 
I don't know what you're doing through this message today, but God, I pray if today scares them, they see themselves on that path and they don't want to be on that path, Lord, I pray that you'll give them faith to turn to you, call out from their soul, and ask you to save them. Believe and know that you cannot lie, you will save them. Lord, if we can help them to settle that, God, give them the boldness to step out, to raise their hand, to get our attention so we can help them in that today. Lord, let grace for you that those that are Christians, let us all walk out of here with a heart that desperately pleads for you to keep us pure. Lord, we will go straight. We are prone to wonder. Lord, I am prone to wonder. I pray that this time next week, if it finds me standing and preaching, that I will not have wallowed in sin because you draw me all through the week. Lord, let that be true. Let each one of us right now, God, beg you to be the most influential force in our lives. Overcome our own desires.